everyone, it's Josh. Before we start the episode, I wanted to share some thoughts about some of my favorite podcast series. The first podcast I fell in love with was On Being with Krista Tippett. I used to take long walks and listen to her talk with amazing thinkers and doers. From On Being, I got hooked on Radiolab, which since 2002 has been devoted to investigating a strange world and making science more accessible. For a while there, I got pretty hooked on Intelligence Squared US, which digs deep into the great questions of our times using an Oxford style of debate. A couple years ago, I became obsessed with two truly epic series. In the first, called Hidden Brain, host Shankar Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices, and direct our relationships. In the second, called How I Built This, host Guy Raz dives into the stories behind some of the world's best-known companies and weaves a narrative journey about innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists, and the movements that they built. I also love the series Next Question with host Katie Couric and The Daily with host Michael Barbaro. Finally, a shout out to a very cool podcast coming out of Hawaii called Journey with Mumpo. Mumpo is spelled M-P-H-O, Journey with Mumpo. Host Mumpo takes her listeners through conversations around the mind, the body, the heart, and the soul. Please check it out. Anyway, the best way to support your favorite podcasts is to listen often and give them a rating in your favorite podcast store. And now, on to our show. Imagine a place where students use media, creativity, communication, and critical thinking to make stories come to life. A place where authentic audiences are enlightened by the kids who live there. Hawk Media Productions at Kealakehe Intermediate School, located in Kona, Hawaii, is an example of that place where students strive daily for the summit. From school broadcasts, Hikino stories, community spotlights, and now podcasts, Hawk Media Productions hopes to inspire other schools to get involved in meaningful learning in the community and the world. Believe it or not, all schools have the students, teachers, and community partners to be the spark for what school could be in Hawaii. Welcome to Season 1, Semester 2 of the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. This series features the stories of creative and innovative educators who are influencing, motivating, and inspiring Hawaii, the nation, and the world. Now, let's send it off to your host, Josh Rapoon. Hey everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. I am your host, Josh Rapoon. This is our last regular episode of our 2019-2020 season. As we close out this first season of the podcast, it feels pretty special to tell you that we are well over 11,000 downloads across 36 countries worldwide. Amazing. Obviously, there is a hunger in the world to hear the inspiring words of innovative, imaginative, and creative educators and education leaders. On a more somber note, this episode was recorded at a very painful moment in world history. COVID-19, otherwise known as the coronavirus, has caused the deaths of tens of thousands of people on every continent of planet Earth. The number of cases and resulting deaths is pretty shocking. Millions of people are out of work, 
and cultural disruptions are beyond profound. At the same time, teaching and learning has dramatically shifted worldwide as teachers and students shelter in place and learn from a distance. Given all this, I'm very grateful that today we get to talk to Heather Belosis, the lead elementary teacher, grades K through five, at Hawaii Technology Academy's Maui campus. HTA has seven campuses on four islands. From 2016 to the present, Heather has developed course pacing and units for HTA's blended home and classroom settings. She meets with students each week to provide instruction and opportunities for project-based learning. She mentors parents and learning coaches on best practices when carrying out curriculum in the home setting. Previously, Heather was a kindergarten teacher at Maui Preparatory Academy, where she collaborated with a team of elementary educators and administrators to further develop the school's mission and vision. Heather is all about being an advocate for integration of student voice projects and a cultivation of self-awareness while learning and growing. Heather Belosis, welcome to the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Well, thank you. We're, what a lovely morning to be talking to someone, you know, connecting outside my home virtually today. <laughs> absolutely. And I'm on Oahu and, and you're on Maui and there we are, yeah. distance apart. So Heather, there's, yes. there's a format that we use for this podcast called 10 Questions. So I'm going to be asking mm -hmm. you 10 questions um, and we're going to roll through them over the next hour or so, okay? Okay. All right. So question number one. So Heather, I thought it'd be fun to cheat right out of the gate and cram a bunch of related questions into the first question. So while surfing okay. your HTA website, I found the FAQ or Frequently Asked Questions page. So how's about I rapid fire the frequently asked questions at you and you give us brief rapid fire answers. Is that okay? Yes, that sounds like some awesome. fun. Okay. So I'm going to pretend to be sort of a prospective parent and I'm just going to fire these questions at you. So here we go. All right. All right. So Heather, what is blended learning? Blended learning is a combination of learning through three different modalities. So Students at our school learn with face-to-face -face instruction in the classroom, but not like brick-and-mortar school five days a week. Instead, they come to a learning center for specific classes only a few times a week, and that varies by division. So elementary, middle, and high school have a different blend. The blend looks different. Um, the second part of that blend is learning virtually, and that means through the computer, online lessons sent for students to access information in preparation to go into school and then work with teachers and peers. I do want to clarify that elementary level, we don't have them working purely online. I'm not a huge advocate of little ones being in front of a computer screen. Um, for them, the learning coaches, their parents or grandma, whoever is helping them in the home setting, is the one who helps them get through teeny little bits of online learning and then takes it offline for them. And so there is offline hands-on work in the home setting. And then the third part of that blend is working in the home setting and collaborating with the learning coach which is usually a family member at home. Sometimes it can be a tutor that someone hires, things like that. But um, 
almost all of our learning coaches are parents that want to step up to the plate and be a key part of their child's education. Okay. So just to clarify, students do not attend on-campus classes every day of the week at HTA. No, they do not. Okay. Nope. So then what, briefly, what does a typical day at HTA look like? Well, it varies from day to day. Um, but a typical day for students that come to campus, if they're going to, for that, and this looks different for every division. So elementary is one thing, and then um, middle school, so it's grades six through eight, the blend becomes a little bit more face-to-face on campus time. In high school, even more so, because we do not expect the parents to be experts in pre-algebra and also pre-calculus. So that's pre-cal classes like that. We don't expect parents to be experts. So there's more face-to-face time as they get older. But a typical day would be um, for the Maui campus. It also differs a little bit from campus to campus um, throughout the islands. But for Maui campus, the kids come in. Um, I have kindergarten first graders that come in on Tuesday. And they, we go over to a huge dance studio. We start our day out for an hour moving with a teaching artist and acting out literature we're going to be working on. And then we come back and we work on the reviewing all of the math skills, writing and reading skills they did in the home setting for the last week. They get to collaborate with each other. They're constantly creating, um, whether it's writing pieces together or a much, much larger project-based learning unit. This year was my first time doing a project-based learning unit, kindergarten through fourth grade. That was an entire year unit. So they always have a bigger project they're collaborating and um, working on together in the school setting. And that is a common thread through all divisions. Okay. There so, are always larger projects going on when they're on campus. Right. Okay. Got it. So what is a learning coach? The learning coach is an adult in the home setting who is stepping up to the plate and saying, I want to be an active role in my child's education. I will dedicate at least four hours a day to making sure I am there supporting my students learning in the home setting. Mm -hmm. So what's delivered and sent over from the lead teacher at HTA to the learning coach. It's the learning coach's responsibility to make sure their student is accessing and getting through the material that's being sent home and then assisting the student in sending in questions that they need support with from that lead teacher. Got it. Okay. It's a very close relationship. Mm. We'll come back to the learning coach later. I want to drill down a little bit deeper on that. But um, next question is, I guess this is really more an ed tech question, like what type of learning platform does HTA use? We use Connectus. So it's a buzz platform. And then um, the Connectus lessons, what's really cool about them is that they provide a template and they're all common core aligned. However, then as lead teachers and HTA has amazing master teachers, we get to go in and make that content our own. Mm-hmm. It's still, we're a DOE school, so it still has to be standards aligned. However, we really get to make the content so it can 
work well with the projects that our students are interested mm. in, and they're the driving force behind. Got it. Um, are teachers available after hours, Heather? Yes. So the it's an interesting um, question because teachers at our school, we have uh, constant office hours. So every single day after our classes end, we're not with the students for the same amount of time you would be in a five-day-a-week brick-and-mortar school. Mm. So we also have support hours. Um, our class sizes are also smaller. So we're getting to meet the students in elementary school. Our class size um, starting next year is not going to go above the 15 mark um, per a group of students. Right. So um, we do have office hours, and we do follow the regular DOE schedule meaning our day, and we, we're not available until 9 p.m. at night. <laughs> mm, right, but, right, right. Um, but, yeah, we, we get to support the students a ton more because of the flexibility within our schedule. Mm, got it. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Are there extracurricular opportunities for my child at HTA? 100%. Awesome. So the neat thing with a blended learning program is that now there's flexibility within your own schedule. So if you want to pursue an art class with a homeschool co-op that you know is just absolutely amazing, it happens on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 10 a.m., then you can take advantage of that um, and then just get right back to your learning is still on the online piece when you get back home. And then within HTA, at our actual learning centers, we have all sorts of art classes and um, language classes for the older students. And then for um, our elementary students, we've been part on Maui of the Artist in Residency grant program for the last three years. We're applying for our fourth, fingers crossed. But we get to spend every morning at the Maui Academy of Performing Arts wow. learning with, yeah, with a, in a huge, gorgeous studio space yeah. with a phenomenal teacher just learning about how to take key vocabulary and characterization and bring it into full body movement. Wow. I'll tell you, it's made a world of wonders for my, for my kids with their writing. Wow. So, yes, so enrichment is definitely yeah, part of always the, there. <laughs> um, so I think this might be more of a middle or high school question, but can my child participate in sports teams while attending HTA? Yeah. Yeah. So the cool thing is being a charter, we, our students are able to, if we're not offering the sport, so we don't offer football, we don't offer um, majority of sports, mm -hmm. they can be a part of the sports team at their geographic homeschool. Mm. So let's say they know they need a different learning situation, but they were, what's really hard for them, they're saying, oh, I know that the classroom situation isn't working for me. However, I don't want to leave this particular school because I just love my football team. Right. But you still get to do that. Got it. Yeah. Got it. That's yeah. marvelous. Okay. Um, are there opportunities mm -hmm. for my child to socialize with peers outside of the classroom? Sounds like that's a definite yes. Oh, that's a definite yes. Yeah. Yep. 100%. That's communication, collaboration with their actual peers from class is something we constantly are promoting for the projects they're doing um, to support what they're doing in class. However, yeah, they, these are very 
all the students I've met at HTA are very social. <laughs> mm, right. So yeah. lots of opportunities yeah. there. Right. Okay. Oh, John. Yeah. And so, and finally, in this list of FAQ questions, um, HTA charges a student supply fee. And so you're a, you're a public charter school, which means that mm -hmm. you're free. Um, so, but yeah. what does this fee cover? What is that fee about? So the fee covers the, um, any of the extras that we need for the classroom. So if your student is going to a five-day-a-week school, at the beginning of the year, you're going to get a massive supply list, and then you run out to the stores and try to race to get the four binders and the number of mechanical pencils and all that good stuff. Mm. Uh, we don't require that because it's just a small supply fee for everything that ends up being supplied within our classroom. Right. Got it. Yeah. And then we provide a bag of manipulatives for the home setting. We provide the whole curriculum for the home setting with all the workbooks if need be. Mm. And then there's a lease program for a computer, a laptop, which is very affordable. Mm, got it. And you okay. get that fact that deposit goes right back to you at the end of the year when you return a working computer. <laughs> right. Okay. So, yeah. so excellent. We've worked our way through the FAQs. Well done. Um, so, so perfect segue to, to what I want to ask you next, Heather. Um, so mm -hmm. at your, at your HTA website, there is a survey prospective parents can take to see if their child is a quote fit for the school. So I took yeah. that survey with my daughter in mind. My daughter's 28, but mm -hmm. I was just thinking of her maybe back in, in elementary school. And I took the elementary level survey. So I took the survey and wow, it was so fascinating. Um, I want to drill down into some of the more complicated elements of blended learning. So within the HDA program, students are expected to work collaboratively with their parent learning coach and teachers. So it's a three-way partnership and all parties need to be able to work together with the main goal of being student success. So what are the main challenges and opportunities of these very intriguing three-way partnerships between the student, the parent learning coach, and the teacher, especially Heather at the elementary level? And this is honestly one of my favorite things to share when I'm speaking with prospective parents because I compare it to this. As a teacher, I, when I worked with students five days a week and I had my class of 24 little kiddos, um, I was able to see their growth. And this was before I had my own children. And it was so exciting and just filled my heart with, oh, my goodness, I can't wait to see what this student's going to do this week because they made such progress. And now to bring the parent back into that, mm. is, it allows them to share those experiences is my joy. And when I always say to them, do you remember when your child is young and you're just so excited because they took their first step and you see this developmental milestone happen right in front of you. When you become a learning coach, number one, you have to want to experience that feeling again, that emotion. Because when your child starts to read for the first time, or all of a sudden they start to put together a flow of thoughts and their essays and short stories become, you get to see as a learning coach into their thought process. Right. 
wow. into their imagination on paper. It's such a beautiful and exciting thing. You're going to ha- recall that emotion again of seeing their first step. But now that experience is shared with you from your students, and I'm also seeing it in the classroom, and we're all sharing those joys together. At the same time, we're also sharing those moments of challenge and helping the child set goals and supporting them and overcoming the challenge so frustration doesn't set in. Mm. And that's what the partnership is about. That's the joy of it. And I absolutely love my learning coaches because the parents are coming in, choosing the program, knowing that they want to be properly involved. And it's for a teacher, when you have supportive parents, and you're also working with those parents on how to support the students, the students come into class, their anxiety is much lower. They are excited to be with you, and they know they're supported through their learning. And it's mm. a really, that's a beautiful blend, you know, in itself. So, Wow, that's, um, that's so interesting, Heather. Like, I, so I did a previous episode with uh, with uh, Mickey Kakesi, who is a, a middle mm-hmm. school coding teacher at Eva Mackay Middle on Oahu. And we had a great conversation about ways, I mean, she's not in a blended learning situation, but she's doing some pretty out-of-the-box stuff with coding and science and STEM. And what we were talking about is the concept of building allies in your parent community. And that that's something that she's mm-hmm. actively working on is, is keeping the parents so fully informed about what's going on that they literally become allies of her work. Um, they're supporters. So if you know if she ever runs into headwinds, there are her parent supporters <laughs> there for her, right? Um, and and that, yeah. that sounds like what happens with your parents in this three-way relationship is that they really become advocates in and of themselves for their own child's success rather than removed from that process. Right. We're, we're collaborating together. It's not that I, just because I have years of research and teaching experience, experience behind me doesn't mean I'm the expert on who their child is. They are. Right. They've watched every developmental stage. And so bringing the parent in and then sharing the next step of educational developmental stages just is very powerful. Mm. Yeah, I remember yeah. with my daughter when she was growing up that I felt like that expert while she was in elementary school, but increasingly through middle and high school, I lost that feeling that I was the expert of who she was, as if somehow she had sort of been you know, removed from me, and that, and that was a distressing yeah. feeling. So, so, all right, so then the next question for me specifically has to do with these independent learning days and, and with the parents. So during these independent learning days, the parent learning coach must be able to prepare and plan and teach and assess lessons from the, the teacher's pacing guide. So I'm like, wow, so what kind of continual coaching does the parent learning coach get from the HTA faculty? We actually have monthly learning coach workshops. Wow. And what we do is we, teachers like myself, reach out to Janelle Peterson, who is our head of 
learning development and and creation of these amazing workshops. And so I'll say to her, my students are having a really hard time right now with um, sometimes I'll, it'll be math and language arts, but we'll just say with understanding place value and it all boils down to place value and modal math in order for these kiddos to understand how to set up equations. And I want them and, you know, first through third grade, understand this. And so Jamel and I will sit down, talk about the issue of, okay, this is what your students are experiencing now. So it's to a specific student group. And then she'll reach out to, she'll create a whole presentation, but make it parent language, parent friendly, and share it with me. We go back and forth. That's our collaborative piece. And then she'll reach out to all the learning coaches and say, hey, I'm going to offer a math workshop next Friday. Please sign up if your child's in this grade and it's you know, 45 minutes and come on in and she'll go over all the concepts to support them in the home setting. Mm. And that's continuous. And there's just a library being formed of her learning coach um, sessions. On top of it, learning coaches come to me all the time saying I'm having an issue with A, B, and C in the home setting. Sometimes it is behavioral, sometimes it's academic, and we work through it together and try some little little skill set changers here and there on how they can approach the concept in a new way. Um, or sometimes we're meeting with the child and say, hey, what's going on? <laughs> all three of us. So hmm. let the child know we're all here. But, so yeah, that's that's how we support them. So clearly, it, it, it's it's not all a bed of roses. I mean, you've got all of the kinds of complexities and difficulties and <laughs> challenges that would go with working with no. any set of parents. Um, it, it's not. I have to admit, I have superstar learning coaches. I really do. Um, there are some people that come in, and they try it for a, sometimes a full year, sometimes only four months, and they go, wow, this is not a good fit. Mm, wow. They thought working with their child be one thing and maybe it's hurting their personal relationship. Mm. And when those things happen, I also become kind of a counselor of, okay, let's talk about what's most important in the home setting. So yeah, you really get to know the parents and families in this job. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can imagine Janelle's position. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, you, yeah. you, you, that's a lot of uh, gymnastics and, agility that you'd have to have to work through all of the possible scenarios mm -hmm. to keep your learning coaches, you know, in tip top shape. So perf yeah. perfect segue to this fourth question, uh, Heather. So back to the survey that I took. So hypothetically, let's say my wife and I both work 50 hours a week. And hypothetically, we have two children, one elementary school age and the other starting high school. So we love the concept of this blended learning model. Our kids are pretty self-directed. We have the technology needed in the house, and we believe our children would thrive in your project-based modules. But because of our jobs, we cannot be parent learning coaches during the day or even the evening. So the question is, are we out of luck, and must we stick with a more traditional model of our kids being dropped off at school a brick and mortar school all day, every day. And and by the way, Heather, if, if you answer yes, we're gonna be crushed. Because um, we really love the <laughs> model. So here's your challenge, right? So are, are we out of luck or, or how could this work? Um, I get this question a lot. Hmm. 
Um, And this is the answer. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It, You need to be able to, we are a DOE school, so we are required to deliver and have the work being completed and communication happening during the hours of 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. So it doesn't, we lack flexibility in that way. However, there is an option, and that's a third-party learning coach. And so families can sign off that they are going to have a third-party learning coach. I've had some parents that work full-time, both parents. They had their child maybe in a private school that did cost quite a bit, and they figure, wait, hang on, we're already paying this much, oh, wow. but we want, a diff- we want to change over. Could we hire mm. a teacher, so a permanent um, tutor to come to our house every day and communicate with us, and then they sign off on that third-party learning coach? Mm. It does have to be understood, though, that the parents are the ones that are going to be responsible for managing that third-party learning coach. They're still the ones who I will have the meetings with, the conversations with, um, and they're the ones that have to respond on how things are going to be handled in the home setting. Wow, what an intriguing solution, but still the, the, the buck stops with the parent. They are the parent. They know the child. This is all about the parent and the child. Um, so that intermediary, Correct. there has to be a high level of communication um, for that intermediary exactly. to work, for that situation to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some, I will tell you, some people say that they, um, you know, I, I work in real estate, so I can work online next to my child. Um, I do work over 60 hours a week, but I don't see this going, this is not going to be an issue. Hmm. And I've been to it so many times. That's when I... I say, well, no, but when you have to run out and show a house and your work schedule all of a sudden trumps the learning of your child, my and our school's interest and number one at the center of this collaborative circle is your child. Mm. Wow, that's so And we're not okay with a child not receiving the most amazing education that they should be receiving. So it, it does have to be the right um, yeah. amount of attention. Got it. So, so one more follow-up question to this survey. As you can tell, this survey really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Heather, I'm working my way through this survey, and I started to feel like I was actually the parent of an elementary school kid, because I could <laughs> I could see that as I answered the questions, you know, it was necessary for me to get an eight out of nine or a nine out of nine to sort of be the fit. And one of the things that I started thinking about as I was going through it, and I love the way the survey is constructed, one of the things I was thinking about is that to what extent, if I were to say, for example, around self-motivation, so the question is, is your child self-motivated? I mean, that's kind of a criteria for coming into a blended learning environment like yours. If, if my child is not really that self-motivated now, is there a way for me to answer no on that? But then your our job together that you know in this sort of three-part relationship is to help my child become more self-motivated it's not a fixed mindset it's a growth mindset is that part of it right Hmm. yes so we do discuss that with parents and that's our very first good morning how is how is everyone in this room is then what brings you here today Hmm. and when a parent answers well 
my child's not motivated right now, but that's why I'm here today. It's because I know they could be. They have the potential to be, and something within the classic school model, the five days a week, is what's kind of taken that motivation and removed it. Mm -hmm. Something is not working. We want to try a choice school. Then, yes, let's try it. But if we have other parents who say, well, I'm here today because I don't um, want my child to be in a particular maybe social situation that they are continually in. I want to remove them from that. But then their child saying, well, I don't want to come here and I don't want to learn at home with you no matter what. I just want to be with my friends. That's going to be a tricky Right. Um, motivation factor to overcome. So every we do understand that every person that comes to the table and looks at that right fit survey has a whole different series of background um, pieces that they're running through when they're answering each question. And then they have to weigh those as to can they overcome them or do they think that this is going to be a challenge that's going to end up hurting relationships within the family structure. And if that's the case, it's it really needs to be thought about for a while. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that if if you get a parent who sees their child as a bundle of deficits that need to be, you know, fixed or corrected, that's not an optimal situation. Oh. That's not HTA's mission. That's another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah we. So every it's it's really neat. It makes the job really interesting because you're dealing with, um, I shouldn't say dealing with. You're working with a whole group of personalities, and then seeing how they work together. Mm. Right. Wow. And yeah. pretty fascinating. Pretty fascinating. <laughs> okay, so I, mm-hmm. I want to talk um, or just dip a little bit into this COVID-19 um, situation that we're all experiencing around the world right now. Um, so it feels mm-hmm. to me that the, that the COVID-19 shelter-in-place order um, was not as much of a shock to the system at HTA as it was at other schools. Um, so, Heather, in, in, in what ways has the COVID-19 crisis changed HTA's approach to learning? And in what ways, in what ways have things remained the same? And, and how do you or how have you been able to keep a sense of community despite the fact that your face-to-face time with kids now is zero? Correct. It is zero. Um, so that's the big change. An elementary program here on Maui, I see my students one full day a week for each grade level because I teach grades kindergarten through fourth. And then we have Melinda White teaching fifth grade. Um, For the neighbor islands, they see their students three days a week. And so that time to physically all meet in the same space and create together no longer exists. However, I feel as if HTA was way ahead of the curve because we already had all of our lessons paced and delivered through an online virtual platform. So number one, we just kept going with that. And instead of saying, okay, now we don't have that face-to-face time, we need to add in a little bit more to our virtual platform. All of our teachers are technically literate with being able to 
utilize virtual platforms in a really meaningful and powerful way. So that's a whole nother piece where the learning curve did not exist for our faculty. And then we, I still see my students um, for one hour, one time a week for each grade level, um, but it's through Zoom. And I'm pretty impressed because my kiddos, when I see them, we've already learned how to go into breakout rooms. We're talking kindergarten through fourth grade. They can navigate Zoom like any adult. And they always have a parent right nearby. But that's what's had to happen. We've had to replace our face-to-face -face with Zoom meetings and meetups, even if it's one-on-one. -on -one. So like when you... You know, if you're looking through your HTA website and you look at the mission and vision of the school and some of the learning outcomes and all of that, and one of those being mm -hmm. obviously technological literacy and or competency, that's already baked in already, and that it, that's one of the high degrees of competency is even at a young age's ability to navigate situations like this. So you come out a little bit ahead of the curve, right? I would, yeah, way ahead of the curve because not only do our students understand how to navigate situations like this where we're throwing a bit more of them through the virtual mm -hmm. world? Our parents, our parent so for coach, the yeah. month of August, they've gone through intense training with our admin team, myself and Janelle Peterson, on how to be a learning coach in the home setting, how to deliver curriculum, how to reflect and create goals with their students and how to communicate appropriately with the teacher before the students and teacher meet again. So this is all, this is done during our orientation period, first two weeks in August, where students are kind of exploring the online platforms, getting in the groove, and our parents are coming face-to-face -to, -face to the learning center and learning with the admin and um, teachers. Right. So we've trained everyone, and then they've had all this time to work through their issues, and then the unfortunate pandemic happened, but our parents just kept with the groove, just kept with what we've already set. So I would say in that sense, way ahead of the curve. All of my students are doing all of their work still. Mm. So, so yep. Heather, before, before we go to break, I just, I, wow, I, this is such an extraordinary moment. I, I it, sometimes I, I'm at a loss for how to ask questions about this moment, but it feels to me like all across our public and independent schools in Hawaii um, and charter schools that are not HTA, there's, there are elements of blended learning that are happening that might not be understood as blended learning. Um, and they're just, they're not formulated into the kind of superstructure that you guys have put in place. And yet it's happening. People are being forced into doing the kinds of things that you guys have been doing for more than 10 years now. So I just wonder right. what your thoughts are about what happens on the other side when we finally get beyond the pandemic and, and where we'll be on that side. I'm curious to see if some schools continue to keep, and this is speaking nationwide, I, I have family that live in New York, um, and my cousin is a teacher in New York City, and he was saying, well, no, we might have to have some of our program become 
partially virtual. I said, oh, blended. That's what we do. And so I think it's something mm-hmm. that might be thought about as, wow, some of our teachers were really able to master this. Some of the parents were. Could the model of blended learning fit within a variety of school structures and in turn support the financial structure that might end up hurting. I mean, I don't know, but it could be, it's a powerful learning curve for everyone to overcome right now. But I imagine there's a lot of frustration while everyone's working their way through it. (laughs) Right. And a lot of people are thinking about, well, you know, why do I need to drive to the office every day? Why am I spending two hours in the car um, in the commute? Why can't I do what I've been doing for the last three months working from home? And that sort of feels to me like the beginnings of a learning coach, uh, because with some tweaks in the household, you could actually, you know, reformulate the thing and and you could be in a blended learning model. So that's just... Exactly. It, it might open some really cool doors. So that could be a silver lining to all of us. Right, right. <laughs> right. And we're, we're all looking for those silver linings for sure. That's yeah. awesome. Okay. So, hey, everyone, stay with us. After this short break, we will be back with more questions for Heather Belosis. Stay with us. Hey, I'm Tyler Kern from MarketScale, and you're listening to What School Could Be in Hawaii, a podcast partnership between MarketScale and Josh Rapoon, exploring the latest insights and thought leadership in the world of edtech. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts these days, or just head to marketscale.com, click on industries at the top of the page, and scroll down to edtech. We'll see you there. What could your school do with $25,000? Hawaii Public School teachers apply for the Education Innovation Grant from Farmers Insurance Hawaii and the Public Schools of Hawaii Foundation to make your big idea a reality. The Education Innovation Grant fosters unique, innovative learning experiences benefiting teachers, students, and the greater community. The deadline to apply is May 30th. One Oahu winner and one neighbor island winner will be announced in October. To apply, go to farmershawaii.com slash educationinnovation. Toy and Amber from Entre Ed Talk. We are so excited to uplift this cool new podcast coming to you from the middle of the Pacific Ocean. What school could be in Hawaii? As always, we're super excited to support innovation and education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of these incredible educators on our own podcast, Entre Ed Talk. If you're looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators from across the world, join us as we share their journey and insight. Be sure to check us out wherever you listen to podcasts at Entre Ed Talk and like, subscribe, and drop us a review today. Thanks for tuning in. Hi there. My name is Mpo, the host of Journey with Mpo, a podcast show dedicated to the exploration of mental health challenges, spirituality, and poetry. The show consists of real-life stories from mental health survivors, spiritual healers, and artists who use their artistry to maintain a healthy life balance. Tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. 
Don't forget to review and subscribe. See you there. Hey everyone, we're back with Heather Belosis, the lead elementary school teacher at Hawaii Technology Academy's Maui campus. So Heather, your seven campuses have spent significant time and energy on developing your expertise using virtual environments. And we've been talking about that through the first half of, of our episode. So for public, private, or charter schools locally, nationally, and globally, that are grappling with distance learning, what are some steps that you might recommend that would result in what we might call a quick win or quick wins? Like some specific one, two, or three steps that people can take um, that would result in those kinds of wins. So the first piece is that any teacher who is just jumping into this and needs to lead a large group can't do it alone. You have to have a team to support the different pieces. And that means one person creating a virtual unit, another person maybe creating an intro video for parents and students to watch because all these pieces take so much time. At HTA, I just came on four years ago and the amount of work that was done to lay the foundation well before I came on took years. So to expect people to do this in 30 days and be able to deliver an effective series of lessons and part of their curricula would just be too much. So administration needs to reach out and develop teams and then give time for those teams to then support students and parents in the home setting. Okay. So, so I was talking to Matt Zatello, um, who's over at the Oahu campus, and he, he provided another quick win. I would love for you to comment mm -hmm. on it. So one of the things that he said is that it's really important in the home to carve out space that is your learning space. In other words, not just letting it happen kind of chaotically all over the house or the apartment, but you, you really want to carve out a space that almost feels like a classroom or feels like a, a designated learning space. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? That's 100% the case. There has to be a zone where your student sits down or gets comfortable in and knows it's the zone to get to work because, and it has to be a conscious space. It can't just be, um, you know, the, the ottoman near the TV. <laughs> That's not going to work. Right. Um, yes. It, creating a space is one of the things that we go through with our learning coaches. And one of the very first sessions in August is how to create a space, what that space can look like. Um, the only thing with during this particular time is people going out to purchase the items to create their space is not really able to happen. So it's a matter of creating an understanding that once the breakfast is cleared, the spot at the kitchen table becomes that space. Mm, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good that's a good point that you can't go out and get 
some of the things that actually create learning spaces that easel with the with the whiteboard on it or things like that that's uh, unless you were totally right. online yeah and it's a tough financial yeah. time so you just you got to you got to get creative in the space that you live to find those things that will work as tools for you and gather them up and and configure them in a way that makes a learning space right yeah um so yeah. so most um, kind of a follow-up question to that is that most educators and parents that are in this current COVID-19 situation see the downsides first because of what's been taken away. And wow, a lot has been taken away. Like even just yesterday, our Department of Education here in Hawaii announced that there will, there will not be a return to the physical campuses for the rest of the school year. So any thoughts that people had about you know, we'll be back on campus are now gone. Something major has been taken away. Prom's been taken away. Graduation, essentially, has been taken away. Um, my chance to be face-to-face mm -hmm. -face with my teacher or my, my peers has been taken away. So, so Heather, as a school where 50% virtual is kind of part of your mission, what is, what's one bright spot that folks who are feeling that sense of things have been taken away, what's one bright spot that they could focus on and expand on in their thinking that brings them back to a sort of a positive space? I know that's a hard question. I, well, I have a kindergartner at home with myself right now um, and a two-year-old, so that's a struggle. So I do understand the frustration factor. I think the frustration factor from the student's perspective is all of the memory-making and social relationships have been stripped overnight. And in some sense, they're really wanting the connection piece. And they're going to have to for the time being, understand it's just for the time being, and they will have to satisfy that through virtual. For parents, there is a really bright thought through all of this, and that's going back to you get to spend quality time, and you have to consciously make it quality time. Otherwise, it can just end up being frustrating time with your children, no matter what age. And it takes a lot of deep breaths sometimes to get into that headspace of how can I make this moment something that you can be present in. And it's, we're being given the gift of time right now right. to be still. And, and I even find myself overwhelmed with the, with the learning curve I have because it's, I'm trying to balance a lot within a closed space. And that means a lot of energy movement, a lot of work on my plate, and trying to take care of children. But then sometimes I just have to stand still and take a moment and say, wait, no, I, I'm being given time with my kids. And multitasking doesn't mean you try to do everything at once. It means you just move through the many things you have to do and a conscious pattern. And so I take time to just be with my kids. And that's a great thing for parents. If you can actually be with mm -hmm. your children, all technology off for a moment, you know, be conscious with them. Wow. What a, so. what a, what a potentially amazing silver lining, Heather, that 
and, and this comes partly from a podcast that I listened to where you were interviewed about, about motherhood and about parenting and mm-hmm. about education reform and thinking about how in this particular COVID-19 moment with people sheltered at home that parenting styles themselves will, will be under redesign as parents have to be with their kids and get to know their kids and become learning coaches and do all the things that you're talking about. It seems quite extraordinary to me that the potential for what might happen on the other side of the pandemic is that parents will maybe know their kids a little bit better and understand their kids better and be invested in a different way in their kids' success. What are your thoughts about that? I, I would sure hope so. I hope that that grows out of this. At the same time, I do understand that the overwhelm and the situation and financial strain will take its toll on adults as they're also trying very hard to be present and parent. But that's when, as adults, yeah, we can't go out and support each other with getting together. However, take a moment, call a friend, you know, when someone's feeling overwhelmed, set up that Zoom evening meeting with a couple friends to hang out virtually. Right. Um, people have their tribe, right? So still rely on the tribe, even though you can't get physically together, because being able to parent through a time like this can be tricky, but without having that release and filling the cup, right? We don't want our cups to get empty, um, just, I guess stepping forward into this time with grace is something that's not easy to do, but if it, you make a conscious effort as a parent, it can be really powerful and it might end up feeling like you're reconnecting with these beautiful beings that you created. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's so what I'm trying to do. That's, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> And, and in some ways, I'm trying to do that as well with my daughter who lives in California. And by the way, she's a kindergarten yeah. teacher. So, you know, I'm oh. I, the, I, the apple does not fall from fall far from the tree and I could not be more mm-hmm. stoked. But I've I've reconnected with her um, as she struggles through, you know, her position as a kindergarten teacher in a distance learning situation. So I, I love your insight about, you know, stay connected to your tribe um, as you go through this thing. Um, so, so Heather, setting aside COVID-19, um, HDA takes a quote, whole child approach to educating students. So beyond academics, enrichment opportunities enable students to develop social and emotional skills, which are integral to demonstrating HDA's core values, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, creativity, and character. So for the educators or parents in our radio land, who are unfamiliar with the term whole child, what does it mean in actual day-to-day practice? It means allowing and supporting your child in accessing what we call the core values and we also call the essential skills without being able to tap into the creative self and communicate with learning coach and other peers and work together in teams to collaboration, the interpersonal skills would not be able to be developed. And those are by far the most powerful skills. I, I personally believe I know HT does 
in life because if we can't work with others and share the creativity we have inside in order to create going forward with projects, um, we as individuals have a very hard time working together. And so these essential skills that we're constantly focusing on within all of our units, we're focusing on in class. At home, it's the same thing. We have the parents think, hey, today, how did your child actually demonstrate creativity or collaboration with you? And they get to put into their student's profile within our school system how they feel it was happening in the home setting. And it goes into their student's profile. It's fair. They get to input just like the teachers. Wow. So, so whole child means everybody's involved. Everyone's involved and every aspect of the child's growth is involved. So the whole child approach is making sure that we're not just focusing on memorizing those multiplication tables, but what was the character? How was, how did the child also demonstrate grit to get through the challenge of that? And even though it might take them a bit longer, we need to celebrate that they're able to do that at a certain point. So we, the parent is involved in the documentation of the whole child approach, meaning teaching the essential skills and academic skills, just as much as the teacher. Mm. And it sounds like... And by the way, the student gets to put in, too. Sorry, the student also gets to input. Right. And so it sounds like HTA keeps their collective eye on the whole child concept, even as you move up out of elementary school into middle school and then into high school. This is not something that gets dropped later. It stays there all the way through. It's a core part, right? Oh, yeah. It's always, I, I like to say it's at the forefront because the students are constantly reflecting how they're demonstrating mm-hmm. these essential skills. Right, right. I, I, I think mm-hmm. about, you know, when I was in high school 45 years ago and if there had been a whole child approach back then, how the arc of my life might have been a little bit different uh, rather than me being dropped mm-hmm. off at school every day and then picked up at school every day, my parents didn't know a whole lot about what was happening while I was at school. Um, but anyway, those are those are musings of uh, somebody looking back on education. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so Heather, um, you and I, uh, well, I, I read this article four years ago, um, and then you and I both reread it again yesterday in anticipation of today. Um, it's a, a fascinating article in the New York Times Magazine about Google's quest to build a perfect team. And very long article short, it turns out team success largely depends on the extent to which team members are vulnerable and interpersonally open with each other. In other words, quote, psychological safety comes up as the primary factor in any team success. So 20 years into the 21st century, it really is a fact of life that our children's success depends on their ability to work collaboratively in teams. So in what ways Uh do you and your fellow elementary school colleagues develop collaborative team skills and habits in your K-5 
students. And by the way, I'm, I'm assuming that it is never too early to start developing team skills. I'm, I'm assuming that's what you guys think. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, children naturally gravitate toward each other and start to create their own teams with anything, including in their early childhood years, even when they're just, when they're playing. So they're going to play together and then as in the playground and then or the park. And then when I have them in kindergarten, students are open. It doesn't, they really don't start closing their ability to feel safe until a little bit older, unless the student is in an environment where they continually feel supported and safe. And then their doors are not closed, their barriers are not up, and the teamwork can happen really beautifully in the, at the elementary level if there needs to be some constructive redirecting of maybe tone of voice or um, how a student might be shutting another student down, that type of thing. When they're in a, a class where the social-emotional skills have been developed and they trust in the teacher and they trust in themselves, then they take that constructive feedback and change it instantly in order to get the group to move forward. I have been in class, and that's, that's the description of HTA that I've experienced. It's amazing because the parents want to be properly involved. They're supporting the child, and I am doing everything to do exactly the same with also social-emotional learning lessons happening in the classroom. And my kiddos really work so well in groups. I've been in schools where that is not the case at all. Mm. And when I reflect back on those situations in those schools, um, was it was not, actually, they were not in the state of Hawaii. So I was curious. I was also thinking about why was that the case? <laughs> but um, they, the team, the actual elementary team, it also, they also do not have the ability to collaborate the way we do at HTA. And so I don't even know if it's really being vulnerable, but just trusting that we're all going in the same direction and feeling really comfortable expressing ourselves. We're a pretty outspoken group, I think. <laughs> But it sounds so. like you have an environment in which who you are and what you're feeling and what you're going through as a human being is all part and parcel of, of the team ethos that you that you work with. I feel supported and I always, there was um, a, a statement in the New York Times article we read saying that sometimes when you work with groups in a work setting, you can leave a meeting feeling drained. And other times you're in that same length of a meeting and it's the same amount of productivity is being done. However, you leave the meeting feeling pumped and so energized that you kind of you can't stop talking about what you just met about. Mm. And 
I've had four years of that experience where I'll spend the whole day, I'll fly over to Oahu, we'll have a big meeting at the whole group, and I come home so pumped. And it's because I always say to my husband that, oh, I'm just, I go over there, I'm with my peers. Gosh, I feel like, you know, look, we're one of the same group, and we're, everyone's so excited. But we're all very from very different backgrounds. And so I think a lot of it has to do with we're there, we're open, we're all feeling heard, keyword, we're all feeling heard and respecting each other. And that's, that's something that's developed from within. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's why we move quick at HTA. I mean, something, right. we, someone has an idea and we all want to run with it, we run with it. It's pretty exciting. And, and grades K through five, you know, you can't, you can't teach teamwork. You have to put kids in team situations so that the dynamics of teamwork can be worked out and they can experience it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something. The elementary years are all about experimentation and practice and fine-tuning a skill, right? right. And so, yeah, we, we get to do that. That's a really fun part of the job. <laughs> right. But right, yeah. and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just imagining being a fly on the wall in situations like that where you can see the kids working things out with each other and that those are, <laughs> yeah, those are muscles that they're going to... I always say it's really noisy. It's a really noisy environment, and it gets really messy. Sometimes there's, you know, if they're really getting into some project and someone has an idea, I mean, there's papers, there's pencils, there's glue. I mean, I just... I kind of let the whole space transform into this crazy circus. But then I say, wait, look around. Look how focused every group is. Right. But they're all getting into it. Um, And so, I mean, I've been over to Oahu when they were having classes. I also said once, I really want to learn from how this teacher does her class. And I've heard amazing things. And so they flew me over. And I got to watch, and I was just loud. And once again, the volume is loud. People are getting – little first graders are all super excited about their journaling project. But it, no one in, our, in the HTA class is ever really sitting in rows watching the teacher speak and just taking silent notes for a year on end. I right. mean, it's, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Right. So right. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. great. So, Heather um, – Way back more than a year ago, you and I spent an hour on the phone talking about a passion project of yours. Um, You were working on ways to reconceptualize and redesign the, quote, progress report. Um, 40, Mm -hmm. Forty years ago, when I was in school, Heather, I received progress reports that suggested I was an unmotivated student who lacked intelligence. I still have these reports, and I look at them from time to time. Um, the individual teachers writing them were sometimes downright cruel um, and clearly knew little about me and what I cared about. And I suspect my parents didn't pay a whole lot of attention to these progress reports when they were coming in. So so what kinds of progress reports are you working on and what got you so interested in this subject? So what we are we're working on at HTA right now, um, first of all, Let's go back to we are working on progress reports and fine-tuning exactly what are the goals over for our students for every grade level, but how does that flow from one grade level to the next to look at our progress for a student 
in the elementary years as a continuum. Mm. And so I had this idea of how beautiful would it be if progress reports weren't a bunch of grades um, where you say, oh, they met with proficiency, they met with excellence, or oh, they're well below in all these areas of reading, writing, and math. But instead, what if it was a circle where the center of the circle was the student? And then there were just like ripples in a pond that went all the way out to the largest circle on the outside that represented fifth grade. And every one of those ripples on the inside represented a grade level. But the expectation was that the student could, instead of saying, oh, I have to be able to read on or above fifth grade level and also calculate all math and analyze these math, ish- these math problems, by fifth grade and have my whole circle filled. Instead, what if the circle was like a gear where it's filled in, in various colors representing the subject matters, saying your student is showing mastery of this ability and all thinking back to higher order thinking skills and using the vocabulary of being able to analyze problems with a variable, for example, things like that. And then there'll be some dips maybe in their circle. And those dips would be areas for growth still. Understanding that neurologically, our brains develop, but just as students grow in height, sometimes our synapses aren't growing all at the same rate. And so why not give a little bit of the gift of time and base all of our progress academically through elementary years on this idea of you have the six years to develop this understanding and what you're really doing instead of saying, Johnny was unable as a teacher to master his math skills that are expected by the end of second grade, instead transform it all into goal statements. Johnny has an amazing ability to solve addition and subtraction our next step is to work on his ability to analyze multiple step addition and in preparation for multiplication. So everything is a, I can do this attitude and here's a great new goal to move into my next year of learning. Um, I realized my whole idea with this was really large and deep because I would need uh, to, I want to develop this into kind of an app of some sort that could go out to schools. And I just, right now, I don't think that's necessarily the direction HTA is going with this progress continuum. Instead, we're going to be creating a narrative of the continuum to make it really transparent to learning coaches and all teachers that come on board as to how we teach and what we expect throughout all grade levels. Mm. And so that's the way we're moving with it right now. But I had this whole picture of something different for for some time that I was really jumping into um, wholeheartedly, but this is the beauty of it all. I had this whole continuum, this whole idea, the executive director, Lisa Gerald, last year heard me out, let me explain my whole idea, supported me with taking coursework to figure out research-based, would this make sense to go forward? 
And then this year I met with our new executive director, uh, Dr. Stacy Bobo, and she said, you know what, this is a fabulous idea. It's just really, really big. And I'm not sure if we're ready for it. HT is going that direction just yet. They heard me out. I was able to be vulnerable, right? I was able to talk about this whole project and then work on the team to move it into, with the team, a new direction. So that right there just keeps on telling me, like, okay, I'm in the right place. Right, <laughs> you know? right. You're right back to the team but, dynamics. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's mm-hmm. how it's transformed at this point. <laughs> but, I, you know, just thinking about what you described to me and in terms of the progress report, you know, looking at it from a parent perspective or looking at it even more as a parent learning coach perspective, rather than assigning my child a fixed place, like you came in third place and it will never be different than that, that right. in this race, you've actually just handed me some tools to work with my child to think about, okay, so here's where you are now and here's where we wanna go forward. If we agree on that, you and me, the child together, if we agree. Yep. So how how might we, using design thinking language, how might we move forward towards, you know, your understanding of this next step? And that that's a powerful idea to me. And I just wonder how we can grow that idea so it's like a giant field of wheat, the biggest field of wheat ever in the world, that that's the way that people see mm-hmm. kids, not as as deficits that are fixed, but as... Um, little bits of growth and, patterns that can be that can be challenged. And more importantly, it's self-perception. So how we how can we have the student start to perceive themselves as always this intellectual growing being? And I think that's the first step in developing lifelong learners instead of having humans that are feeling stifled in, a position that they one day get into in life and then say, oh, well, I know I, I could never do anything else because I was never good at math. Right. Like, well, where did that come from? That yeah. came from an educator that labeled you. And so that's my whole goal in redefining progress report. And that's where it all came from is I too was labeled right. as someone who was never very good at being able to read or write effectively in in second grade. And that stuck with me for a long time. Now it's funny that I I have my master's as a literacy specialist. (laughs) A lot of that was me trying to prove to myself or figure out where the ball was dropped. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I'm really great at that. You know, um, but overcoming, but I had my own perception of shortcomings, which was not the case at all. And that was, unfortunately, scripted to me at the age of eight. And so how do we eliminate that? It's very important going forward. You know, Heather, it's funny. Um, Those progress reports that I received, um, you know, came to me from faculty members when I was a student at Punahou School. And then years Mm -hmm. later, I went back and taught at Punahou. And a lot of those people who delivered those progress reports were still on the faculty. And so I had to kind of come back in that environment and go, you know, in my mind, I didn't voice this. I'm thinking, you know, you gave me that progress report 35 years ago. And um, it's, it's pretty funny um, in situations like that, but you, but to your point, (laughs) we don't, we don't want to be motivated by, you know, by negative things. We want to, 
be in a growth mindset where you're moving forward in a positive exactly. way. That's really what that's all about. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So Heather, we've actually made it to question number 10 here. Um, this is amazing. <laughs> um, it's, it's really gone by fast. Um, so um, typically I, I end my episodes by asking guests about what school could be because it's a riff off of the title of the podcast. Um, and in your case, I will do that, but with a twist. So in addition mm -hmm. to all the wonderful things that you are, Heather, you are also a trained ballerina who seamlessly weaves movement and art into your teaching. So what does it... Yes. Yes, that's... that's <laughs> not from... as gracefully as before, I'll tell you. Not as like how I was in my 20s. I'm not, you know, ballerina right. body anymore. But yeah, that's fine. Right. <laughs> I and, do. I and that, dance that comes time. from one of your colleagues, actually. That, 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 what, I learned that from one of your colleagues at HDA, so... Yeah. Um, so what, what what does it look and sound and feel like in your classrooms when you do this kind of artistic weaving? Oh yeah. Okay. So I believe that a huge stress reliever is movement. In order to refresh our brains and bodies, especially children. We need, we need to just connect with sounds that aren't each other's voices. We need to move through space. And I also think it's important to, in order to, in a classroom, keep some form of um, respect of each other's space so we don't have a large mosh pit happening, is to um, take direction. And... So how it sounds is the kids get really excited because they can see in my daily schedule that I have this little cartoon character of someone jumping in the air and say, oh, you're going to have a movement break after writing. And they're like, ooh, because they get to know right away. But what that means is I put on pretty much, there's, there aren't any words in it. Usually it's just some sort of abstract techno modern music and on the spot I will make up many combinations and by the end of every year the kids know some key moves modern dance moves and they're all able to move as an entire group through space and no matter how small the space is I can figure out ways for us to move even if a lot of it is through ballet bar moves and it energizes their brain while getting out their wiggles. And it's fun, it's playful, and it makes us all happy. <laughs> and so that's why it's always a part of my day. And I love, I walk around my classroom usually barefoot all day, so I'm ready to move. And even with their dancing and we're doing watercolor painting before poetry, things like that, I'll put on really low relaxing music and sometimes I'll just um, like dance through the room. <laughs> so wow, it makes Heather. me sound a little crazy as I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's such a perfect illustration of what school could be. Um, and yeah. it's also, it's also just, it's a, it's a seed of an idea for someone else who, you know, does X, Y, or Z and could easily just sort of incorporate something like that in 
you know, um, tomorrow they could, they could, tomorrow I'm going to play a piece of music, I'm going to take a music break and we're going to do some dancing together, we're going to be vulnerable as a team um, and off we go. Let's just have a break like that. It's not a big step to take, but it could have profound yeah. um, influences or impacts on the kids themselves. That's, that's, that's really Getting them comfortable within the whole body. Right, right, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So, Heather, um, preparing for this episode, doing my research about you and, and the materials that you shared with me and all of that, it's just been such a privilege to go through all of that and to get ready for this conversation today. And I, I thank you for this opportunity to explore a little bit deeper what you've been doing um, in the realm of education over the last bunch of years. And um, it's just, it's, it's exciting because this is the last episode of the 2019-2020 season, and I feel like it's the most perfect way that we can end this first season of the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. So thank you for taking the time to do this with us today, and, and thank you for everything that you're doing with your kids every day over there on Maui. Well, you are welcome, and thank you for having me today. We can't thank you enough for your curiosity and commitment as you listen to this episode of the What School Could Be in What You podcast. As an aspiring learner, the uncertainty of this COVID-19 pandemic has literally created a different reality for not just me, but all of my peers. As my team of creators from Hawk Media Productions now navigate what collaboration, creativity, and communication looks like, we are inspired to believe it is a moment in time for all of us to use this opportunity to make learning and serving come alive for others. The stories in our history books often reveal the lessons that is within these dark moments. When sparks of innovation and boldness flourish to ignite movement of change for our schools, our community, and our world. To each one of our listeners, we want to thank you for your courage in embracing the opportunities of what school could be here in Hawaii and beyond. Let's keep changing our world together. Fans of the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, you've been listening to the final episode of season one. We thank you for your interest in the series, for your downloads, for your ratings, and your reviews. As season one comes to an end, we can proudly say our episodes have been downloaded over 11,000 times in 36 countries. Clearly, communities across the world are interested in the story shared by innovative, creative, and imaginative public, private, and charter school educators and education leaders in the 50th state. There are so many people to thank for the success of season one. A huge mahalo to our podcast consultant and audio engineer, Ryan Ozawa. And a special shout out to Kamehameha Schools, Halau Inana, Purple Maia, and Daniel Gillard at Thunder Studios Hawaii for making it possible to record our episodes in innovative ways. A very special thank you to Ted Dintersmith, Education Change Agent, for funding this podcast series. And thank you to all of our guests who appeared on the show in Season 1. The What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast series will return for season two in the fall of 2020. Stay tuned at mltsinhawaii.com 
or in Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, and Stitcher. Join the ongoing conversation across social media. Look for Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii on Facebook, at MLTS in Hawaii on Instagram, and at MLTS in Hawaii on Twitter. Tag your posts with hashtag what school could be, hashtag deeper learning, hashtag edchat, and hashtag education. We want to hear from you. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com. If you love this podcast series, we would really appreciate a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help us reach a wider audience of innovative educators. And please, feel free to share this series with colleagues, friends, and family. Finally, these episodes have been edited by Hawk Media Productions, a program at Kealakehe Intermediate in Kona, Hawaii. My name is Meg Kanata. I am in the 8th grade and I am the program manager at Hawk Media. My fellow editors have been Marlo Nutrera and AJ Rosario. Our faculty supervisor is the 2019 Hawaii State Teacher of the Year, Matthew Williams. Learn more at hawkmediaproductions.com. It has been our pleasure to work with host and producer Josh Rapoon to bring this series to life. Until we meet again in the fall, ahui ho. Take care, stay healthy, and be safe. Now, off to your next epic project. Class dismissed.